It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. For nearly 50 years, the community of Marple Township, Pennsylvania, was haunted by the inexplicable murder of a young local girl. Eight-year-old Gretchen Harrington was last seen alive the morning of August 15, 1975, as she walked down the streets of her neighborhood on her way to vacation Bible school. Almost two months after her disappearance, Gretchen's remains were found at Ridley Creek State Park. She had been the victim of a brutal homicide. Gretchen's case went cold, and for decades, her family went without answers. For author Joanna Sullivan, this case hit close to home. Joanna grew up in Delaware County and was nine years old when Gretchen went missing. Her memory of the case never faded and inspired her to write Marple's Gretchen Harrington Tragedy, a book she co-authored with her childhood friend, Mike Mathis. Together, the two authors conducted research into the case, interviewing community members and law enforcement alike. One of those interviews was David Zanstra. On July 24, 2023, Delaware County District Attorney Jack Stolzheimer announced that the 83-year-old retired pastor had been arrested for Gretchen's murder. Joanna is now the editor-in-chief of the Baltimore Business Journal. Today, she joins me to discuss her journey writing the book and shares her reaction to the arrest of the town's reverend, all these years later. I was nine years old when Gretchen Harrington was kidnapped and murdered in Broomall, Pennsylvania. I lived not far from where the crime happened. And it always stuck with me growing up for decades. I wondered about what happened, who did it. And I always thought that maybe I would write the story. But, you know, life got in the way. I have a full-time job. And finally... Uh, the pandemic came along and I had some extra time, couldn't go out at night. And I called up a friend from growing up who grew up near there as well and asked him whether or not he would like to write the book. And so we started, you know, plotting how we were going to do it. And we managed to get a publisher and it published in October of 2022 You know, several months later, just a few months later, police say that somebody came forward with information about the crime. That's exactly what we hoped would happen. We never anticipated that the perpetrator would still be alive. We named the prime suspect that police thought had done it for years. That man died in jail. We talked to the man who's been arrested, the Reverend Zanstra, as part of the book. And we talked to his family as well because they played a an integral part of the story. And police chief Brandon Gray from the Marple Police Department, he always told us that, you know, he let us into the files and he talked about the case because he hoped that someone would come forward and help solve this case after all these years. And 
you know, he's been very open about, you know, he didn't think this would have been solved if it hadn't been for our book. And Joanna, can you explain or describe exactly how the book, how that garnered awareness and how that galvanized then, like how exactly did that link towards solving this case ultimately? A woman came forward who had been molested by the Reverend Zanstra. She claimed she had been molested when she was a child, when she was sleeping over their house. And that she wrote in her diary at the time that she felt like maybe he was the one who took Gretchen. And in January, she came forward with that diary and those memories. And I have since talked to several people who feel like they encountered him and that he tried to kidnap them. I talked to one woman who said, you know, she thought that maybe it was him at one point when she was in Marple Township as a child, she and her brother were um, playing at their fort when this man came and tried to abduct her brother. I showed them the picture of the Reverend Zanstra and she said that it brought back memories that she had repressed. Can you share about the communication that you had with law enforcement during or after authoring the book? Uh, we had a great relationship with Marple Police Department. We visited the police department four times to go through the file, finding new things each time. We interviewed current and past police officers, retired police officers who worked the case over the years. Like each, it seemed like each decade, there was a different person who would take up the mantle of this case and try to figure out what happened. We received no cooperation from the Pennsylvania State Police and we decided, you know, to uh, file a Freedom of Information Act request, and they denied it. We appealed it. They deny it. So the Pennsylvania State Police would not talk to us or let us see their files. And they have a lot of files because Marple was in charge of the kidnapping investigation because she had been kidnapped in Marple. She was murdered in a state park. So that it became their jurisdiction. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers. And of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Part of what I found so remarkable in light of what we know now is the interview that you conducted with Pastor Zanstra and the seemingly lack of memory he had about this terrible tragedy about a girl gone missing from you know one of his flock found in while he was there and he presided over her funeral and yet for him to essentially barely remember the circumstances can you describe how you felt at the time while you were interviewing him if that surprised you his demeanor anything like that well, my co-author, Mike Mathis, interviewed the Reverend Zanstra, and he seemed just like not to remember things. His wife had a better memory of that day. His was kind of murky, and we kind of chalked it up to age. I remember having a conversation after Mike did the interview, and we talked about it because we were working together to incorporate it into the book. So he gave me all his notes from the interview and, 
you know, he had asked him about the timeline and that morning and when he realized Gretchen did not show up for Bible school. And he said, you know, when you go back and you look at, you know, what he said to us, you know, it becomes, you see it now, now that you know, you know, we didn't at the time. I mean, of course, we had our theories about all the people involved in question could have been somebody she knew, you know, could have been this person, you know, her parents were never suspects, but of course, you know, people speculated about her father and there was a Catholic church nearby. And, you know, we wondered whether or not there were priests that were implicated in the sex scandals, if they had also, you know, been, could they have been involved? You know, we, we looked at a lot of different angles, but we never said, you know, the Reverend Zanstra is the one. He was never listed in a suspect in the documents we saw. He questioned, you know, whether or not he called police. He's like, I may have may not have called police at that point. The Zanstras went over to the Harrington's house that night and they were comforting the family, you know, which if you look at now, you realize, oh, that's how horrible that is. You know, we have found letters that Zanstra wrote to the church community praying for the family. You know, he wrote in, you know, their church community was very close even throughout the country. It's sickening, frankly. Um, yeah. and, you know, it's also surprising just to hammer this home because this, this is the part that I keep ruminating over. But, you know, to your point about, all right, well, well, maybe, you know, he's a little forgetful and the like, but it's interesting to me that he would even agree to sit down for an interview. And then you would think beforehand, you sort of refresh your memory. If you, if you know you're being interviewed for a book on a certain topic, you likely would sit with that for at least a moment. And if it's something you haven't thought about for years, um, you know, you usually sort of restore and resurface, allow to resurface your recollection of the event. It's certainly not like he was surprised. Um, can you share and describe, especially since you're, you're from that community, the word on the street, you know, the, the conversations over the fences, how did that align with what you and Mike put in your book and what ultimately was concluded by the police? You know, there's the community, a lot of people who were old enough never forgot this tragedy. And it stuck with them very much like it stuck with us. And we saw that on Facebook over the years. We talked to dozens of people who were affected by this case. That was a big part of our book, was not just writing about the crime, but it was writing about the impact on the community. And the arrest, when he was arrested, you know, we started hearing it from sources and state police, but also from the church community. They already knew, you know, he was very well known. He had lived across the country and the local church people started saying, you know, this happened and there was shock, but not among everyone. Cause we have, you know, we're reporting now um, for an update to the book and there are people coming forward saying he tried to kiss me. He, you know, never trusted him, you know, so people who really knew him had encounters with him. And so there's relief, I think, in the community, but also sadness that it was someone they knew. Mike Mathis, my co-author, 
knew the Zanstras personally. I mean, he was a child, but his parents socialized. They lived in the same neighborhood. And the Reverend Zantra came to his sister's communion party. He came to other events in, among Mike's and other neighbors, um, you know, family gatherings and friend gatherings. So this is a family that was entrenched in the neighborhood and in the church community there. I've noticed that the Harrington family um, has been vocal about who Gretchen was and the impact her life, her, her short but impactful life had on the community that at just eight years old, she had a lifelong impact on those around her, um, her kindness, her gentleness, how sweet she was, how amazing she was, they said. Can you speak to the positive impact that the resilience of the community that has shown through and despite this tragedy, that the tragedy is not what defines the community, but in, instead the resilience and the shine of the good people who were involved? Yes, you know, I got to know Gretchen's sister, Anne, really um, wonderful woman. And I got to know her daughter as well. Um, she lives in Pennsylvania. She's a teacher. And, you know, she's grappled with this for for decades. And it's been a struggle. But, you know, she still has, you know, so much you know, hope and optimism, you know, despite this, you know, she's, they have tried to remember their sister, their daughter in positive terms, not just as a murder victim, but as a wonderful child. And I think a lot of people still hold that. We talked to a lot of Gretchen's friends who really, um, you know, have great memories of playing with her, of, you know, hanging out with her, outside you know they played outside they played tag they caught fireflies there was there's a lot of good memories there too joanna can you share any final thoughts or messages or a preview of what's to come with your next book that you just mentioned what would you like to leave our listeners with i guess it's just the fact that you know never give up on these cases there's always somebody who might know something and I know Chief Grafe and the Marple Police said that over and over. There's somebody out there that knows something, you know, that I hope this book brings that person out. And I thought about that when we had our first book talk at the Marple Library, when the book first came out. I thought, I wonder if there's somebody in this audience that knows someone, that knows something about this case. And, I, you know, looking out onto the audience, I just thought about that. And maybe that person was there or Maybe that person saw, you know, publicity about the book or saw the book itself. But there was always the hope that this book would jog someone's memory, that they knew something about the crime. And, you know, that happened. And we're really encouraged that it could happen again in other crimes. Joanna, thank you. Thank you so much for your advocacy for the amplification of what was this cold case for law enforcement, but was a fresh case and will forever be a fresh case for those in Marple Township. And I look to you as a case study of what happens when community members remain engaged and when those who we have lost under tragic circumstances are never forgotten by those who love them. And your book and your future books are examples of what that advocacy and that amplification can look like. Thank you. 
Thank you for letting me share Gretchen's story with your audience. Thank you again, Joanna, for joining us today. For more information about Gretchen's case and the arrest of David Zanstra, be sure to listen to my interview with Delaware County District Attorney Jack Stolzheimer in the episode titled, Closing a Cold Case Nearly 48 Years Later, The Murder of Gretchen Harrington. To hear more stories like this, you can listen to our past episodes on the Fox True Crime Podcast. Go to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts to listen and subscribe. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. If you have a story or topic you want to hear on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at truecrimepodcast at fox.com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.